This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. I'm Richard Schnitzel. I'm the owner of Bowtie Bots. And what I love about retail is the experience that you can have of walking into a place and making a genuine connection over a genuine need. And the fact that that is something you can't get anywhere else in the world of business. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to not just Retail is Your Business, but I'm going to call it the Martini Shot, our very first cocktail version of Retail is Your Business. Rebecca, are you familiar with, well, first of all, I am Mark Reka, one of your hosts, with me, Rebecca Fitz. Hi, Rebecca. Hello, hello. We haven't hello. even started yet. We're a little punchy, but, yes, you know, know, all good. Exactly. Rebecca, <laughs> I should point out, Rebecca is adorned in a white wrap, a faux fur wrap. And she looks all ready for cocktail hour. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about the cocktails in a second and introduce our guest. But Rebecca, do you know where the term martini shot comes from? Have you heard of that term? I have not. I am a martini drinker. I decided not to go with one because it's still a little bit early. <laughs> yeah. I have a whole other recording after this on another show. So oh, I'm going to be, fortunately, it's a comedy show. But Oh, good, good. But, exactly. but I do not know where that term comes from. So what that means is that it, when you shoot a film and you're on set or location, the very last shot of the day is called the martini shot. And that is because after it's done, everyone goes and gets martinis, hypothetically. At least in the old days, that's what used to happen. And so when you're on a film set, they go, all right, somebody uh, set up the martini shot. And that tells everyone it's the last one of the day. So they work very fast. Love that. I'm, I'm going to have to use that by all means. The martini Zoom call, the martini email, the martini shot email. <laughs> exactly. It can apply. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, two things. One is, is uh Typically, when Rebecca and I record this, everybody, we record eh, typically maybe like four episodes in a day. This is our last one that we record today, even though it's just the only one for this week that you listen to. So we decided, as a tradition, each episode that we record the last of the day is going to be our martini shot, as long as we don't not about to perform surgery afterwards or something. So we, along with our guest, who I'm going to introduce now, have a drink in hand, and hopefully it will add some spice to the interview. Our guest, of course, is Richard Schnitzel. Richard, welcome, sir. And I should point out, apropos, Richard is indeed sporting an actual bow tie. Richard, welcome to the show, to you and your bow tie. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I will point out, it is a self-tie. I am not cheating. So I, I was going to <laughs> Proper say- Proper bow tie. Like God bless you. I've never tied a proper bow tie. I've never tied one. So that is a skill I do not yet possess. Remind me at the end. I'll show you how to do it. All right. Hey, right. that's great. So Richard, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Where are you joining us from? I am joining you from Connecticut. Ah, Connecticut. Very so good. Very right close. around the corner. Very yeah. nice. By the way, I'm sorry, Rebecca. It just cracks me up. You have this beautiful faux white fur. And underneath, <laughs> I noticed as you kind of adjusted it, there's camo. <laughs> it's like, it's so perfect. I have a window open in my house and it was really chilly. And this happened to kind of go with my outfit. Not, not this, but you know. <laughs> 
So Richard has been uh, kind enough to get into spirit, and we're going to start with you. What is your drink of choice today, Richard? Uh, I am drinking Bullet Rye Neat. Bullet Rye Neat? Like right from the bottle? Right from the bottle, yeah. Wow. Now, Richard, tell me the truth. Did did you get our message about this being a cocktail show and you ran down to the corner? Oh, I absolutely did. (laughs) There's a liquor store in the building my office is in, so I had to walk about 100 100 yards to the liquor store and pick up a bottle of something. Richard, I want to tell you sincerely how much I appreciate you playing along and going through that effort. I really mean it. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, I'm going to beer wad at my gym after this. So this is just now a pre-gaming for what I usually <laughs> do on my not? Friday nights. Let me tell you something. I had my very best run of my life ever after drinking a few beers on the beach. I'm just saying, is it related? I don't know. But... It hides the pain. Exactly. And Rebecca, what is your drink of choice today? I'm going way light, but I'm doing a glass of Chianti. Just, you know, ease ease into the weekend, if you will. And what is the kind of Chianti? What is the brand or the, do you you know the the bottle? Sorry, I didn't know if it was. Fontella. Lovely. Hold a sec. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. It's lovely. And I think I've had this bottle before. Okay. It's the spot. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, cheers, Richard. And uh, I am drinking something I recently discovered, not that it's that exciting, but I, it was the first time I ever drank it, is salted caramel Baileys Ooh. Irish cream. Ooh. I have to tell you, I thought I liked Baileys. I'm not going to buy regular Baileys anymore. <laughs> oh, no. I have converted to salted caramel Baileys on the rocks. So cheers nice. to all of you. Cheers. 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 Ah, all right. With all that completed, let's get into the real fun. Richard, I'm going to start with an obvious question. I know you've never been asked before, but it's a two-parter, really. Why bow tie bots? We'll get into all about what it is, although you can get into it as much as you want right now. But why bow tie bots? It's a very specific name, and I understand maybe that's something to do with your personality. I mean, you'll tell us what it is, but... But it also comes with someone saying, well, this is what this means. This is part of the ethos of the company and what it does. And what I want to know is from the time that you decided this is what I will name it, how, if at all, has the name changed in its connection to what your mission is? Yeah, so Bowtie Bots comes out of the fact that I am a proud card-carrying nerd. And one of the things that comes along with that is a love of the show Doctor Who, who Uh has the famous line, bow ties are cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I always loved that. I always loved bow ties. Uh, In a previous job, I was with sales engineer, so I had to wear a suit every day. And as an act of maybe slight rebellion, because everybody (laughs) had to wear a tie, and I wore ties through all of my middle school and high school private school career, I started wearing bow ties and I really loved it. And I loved the connection to that and to the connection of being a mechanical engineer back in the day, you always wore a tie and a suit, but if you were in a factory, you couldn't wear a long tie. It could get stuck in a machine or cause damage. So you wore a bow tie. So there's this beautiful blend for me of the nerdiness that I love, but also the mechanical engineering side of my life and mechanics that I love as well. (laughs) And when I was trying to figure out what to name my company, I I wanted something that was personal and resonated with me and started out with bow tie and then bots because I'm in automation. And it's fun from a branding perspective. And it's fun because to me, bots can mean so many different things. 
it's an all-encompassing term and it depends on the viewpoint that you bring along of what that means to you and it's it's fun to have that conversation be able to you know flex the different sides of uh, the meaning of everything so let's talk about the company then this is a done for you automation company and as i read here what was provided to us shopify wholesale etsy big box and amazon retail all of that is in your wheelhouse and you have worked across all aspects of business from sales and estimating all the way to project management high-end design that has all led you to the point of being able to create automations that help reclaim an immense amount of efficiency in business. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Reclaiming thousands of hours. Is that just purely from giving systems or? Yeah, it's, it's a combination okay. of things. So automation starts with a conversation about what the operations of your business are. What's the workflow that you're trying to achieve. And for me, trying to understand what your intended starting point and ending point is and what you're trying to do in the middle of all that to create the outcome. And from there, we can have a conversation around trying to do two things. One, trying to get you to get that done quicker through you know automating a workflow of creating invoices or managing inventory, and also trying to get that outcome better because you're leveraging automation to improve what you're still doing as a human interaction in your business. Mm -hmm. So it's the combination of truly hours saved in your work, but also hours gained in productivity doing what you should be doing in your business to actually drive revenue. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I was reading about what you do, and I think that I am at a company right now because I think when you think about bots or automation, it's not robots. It's really about trying to build flywheels or to make everything touch and to, to, to make the process. And this company happens to be two and a half years old that I'm at. And we are certainly trying to automate things as much as we can. And it's interesting as it pertains to retail, which my company does, how hard that can be. And I'm particularly challenged in part of the company that is an old traditional part, which is the real estate part. And how do you automate that? It's certainly interesting. I'd love to hear more about, without giving away any trade secrets, how you... No, give them away. Give them away. <laughs> exactly. This show just got really spicy. Um, what were some of the struggles of a Shopify, which now has such a huge, huge, huge place in online retail for sure, and in some ways physical retail as far as POS, and maybe when you did it, because now they're kind of, in my mind, this behemoth. And they're now here now. And are they still automating? And they may may very well be because it seems like they're touching lots of categories. Yeah, Shopify is definitely still automating. I see every week programs that I used to have to automate because there was no internal solution come out with some internal integration with another program that they see their users using commonly. When you're talking about the growth and you know, the way that Shopify has changed over the space of certainly the past year and how companies are using it. One of the common things I see is not on the front end and the creation of the sale, because that all lives in the Shopify ecosystem. But what happens when you try to move out of Shopify into your QuickBooks, or you try to leverage some other market other than Shopify. So if you have a 
physical brick and mortar store and then you have a Shopify store and you're trying to marry those two realities together and not tear your hair out in the process of trying to balance inventory every day and keeping all of that in line. Automation becomes a great tool for just when something happens in Shopify, automatically telling your square inventory, hey, this went down. When something sells in the brick and mortar, automatically telling Shopify, hey, we sold one of these and keeping those in line. And then at the end of all of that, also being able to say, instead of having to print out a report and go through QuickBooks and try to build this out, just have it show up in QuickBooks. Here's everything you sold today. I like to put on that little extra touch of maybe you get an email at 5 p.m. after the day is closed. Of like, here's here's all the sales that happened today. You don't have to go look at that anymore. You don't have to remember to be at a computer or try to navigate on your phone and figure out where to go. You can just look at your email. It comes in. Okay, cool. The store closed at 5. It's 5.15. I get to see all the numbers that happened through the store today because we have automation in the background cataloging all of that for us. Very cool. Can you bring us through the process? I mean, I know what we just talked very briefly about kind of where you start, but for folks listening who may or may not need this, and I feel like probably everybody wants a little piece of this in their business or a big piece of this in their business these days, kind of where do you start? Start with a 1% change. I think the common thing I see is because a lot of our previous understanding of automation has been automating an entire business or trying to automate like a line in a factory. Like that's our viewpoint. Okay. We're going to get rid of all the jobs. We're going to automate this and we're going to go from a team of 20 down to one. Right. And right. And the getting not, rid of jobs is always kind of raises a, a hair on people's heads. So. Right. And that's not what I do. That's not what I like to do. It's about finding the 1% changes in your business that can add up to a big movement. So if you're thinking about your day Think about those one or two things that are time sinks for you, that are simple, that you, you know, you're doing a lot of copying, pasting, or you just wish you could be like, oh, if I could figure out a better way to do this, I would be so much happier because I would be getting so much time and I would just be fresher for the rest of my to-do list to get stuff done and start looking at those first. And think of it as building a muscle. You're trying to build that one point so that you can start to expand your view of what's possible and what the understanding are. And once you build something, then it's off the board and then you can start focusing on the next step and then you can focus on the next step. Don't try to take it all on at once. That makes sense. So you start kind of with a pain point. It's not a big bang of we're about to change everything and, and turn it on its head. And it's giving time back into to someone's day. Yes. Yeah. You, you have to start that conversation at the understanding. Half my job is having a conversation with people to understand what we want something to look like. And without that first half, I can't do my job effectively at the back end because I have I have no context for what we're building. And the context around what we build is the difference between it working really well and having a positive effect and it becoming a huge negative and a detriment to what you're trying to achieve. So let's talk about how this intersects with retail. Clearly, it intersects with any business, but let's talk about specifically retail. How are you thinking about saying, okay, here's the baseline, here's the rubric that any business can follow. Now let me apply it specifically to retail practices. Tell us that connection beyond simply the individual entrepreneur. Sure. So I think about the business in three 
different areas. You get your sales and your lead generation. You've got your actual purchase of the product. And then you have everything that you have to do to maintain that product and to provide it where the customer has no idea it happens. So if you're talking about retail and specifically brick and mortar, there is a lot that you are trying to do to get people into your brick and mortar store that is completely disconnected from the ads that you are trying to run. And the old way of trying to pull that in, it works, but it doesn't work in the mass scale that we're talking about with you know Facebook ads and Instagram and trying to create a social media following and then trying to understand whether or not somebody showed up. So they solve the problem by creating pixels and offline transactions. And you can use automation to capture that stuff in your store without ever having to worry about whether or not it happens. Because we all have the practice of getting a name or an email and trying to get a little bit of data about that person. So in the lead side, it's about using the data that is out there, but pulling it all into one location so that you can actually use it instead of having these varying buckets and trying to pull it in. And then when you're actually making the sale, because you've had this start of pulling data into one location, you can then leverage that to make the sale better for that person. Mm -hmm. Because you're coming into the conversation not blind. You should already know a little bit about what's happening with this person. And after they make the sale, you can do something because you know they bought a product. One of the things that I love to set up for people is if somebody purchases a product and you get their email, you know what the product is. So send them an email the next day and ask them specifically about that product because you have the name already in your inventory system. Hey, how'd this work? Here's the ways that we've seen it used in the past. Right? Personalize that interaction with them in a way that it doesn't take you any time. You're just using what you've already learned and making a choice before that occurs and just waiting for the trigger to happen. And then when you're talking about delivering the product in a way that nobody sees, but you need to be doing to provide it, automation mm -hmm. can help your team communicate better by letting people know what's happened and when. So we were talking earlier about being able to track inventory when an inventory level gets low. Set up an mm -hmm. automatic trigger so that the people on your team who should know about that get the notification that the inventory is low. Hey, this just happened. We had a big day. You should go pay attention to this. And then set up a second trigger that if in five days that hasn't been rectified, elevate it. So you can set up these stop gaps and these measures to have understanding and view into your daily business that you don't have to worry about because when something happens that you need to know about, you'll get notified. If you don't get an email about something going wrong, then nothing went wrong. So you can then go, okay, cool. Well, I got a day. I'm going to go focus on this other thing. The tendency for us when we have so much going on, if you're doing too much, you get saturation. And I could ask you what your name was and you have to put up your finger and go like, hold on, we probably all had that experience. You're running around, some issue is occurring and you're trying like hell to fix this. And somebody has a really simple question. You just kind of go, hold on, I got to finish this. Give me a moment. Automation can alleviate that for you because you don't have to hold so much in your head and you can just focus on exactly what's going to get you through this the quickest. It finds the through line for you. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell, and you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. 
StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. How are you thinking about the training or educational part of this? So you can provide the automation, but that doesn't change paradigms. It doesn't change habits by themselves. People still have to be willing to decide to integrate this, to follow the things that the bots tell them to do. So how have you thought about that both conceptually and in terms of any support or documentation or training modules or anything that that helps make this the most effective. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a big point and I think it's one that we don't talk about a lot. So at your service, sir. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so when we're building an automation and I'm working with the key decision maker, we're operating off of a certain set of assumptions of what we need to be doing in the business. And the first thing that we can do to alleviate that concern of what happens when you then give that to the rest of the team to utilize is starting the conversation with them before it's built about our reasons why we're creating this and getting their feedback on what their expectations are. Because whenever I see a difference of opinion or friction about adopting some new program, it's not based on the fact that they don't want to learn it. They're just scared that their job's going to get harder. They're scared that they might lose their job because it's called automation. So making it clear that we're trying to make your life easier. We're not trying to do this to remove your position. We just recognize that if we continue working like this, you're either going to have a worse work-life balance because of the stress that we're going to be giving you, or you're going to quit, or you're going to come to me in three months and say, something's got to change because we haven't made adjustments and our sales have gotten too big and I, I can't handle this. So we're aware of that. We're trying to fix that. And here's one of the tools that we're going to be using to alleviate the workload and make it easier and better for you to do your job. And that conversation is key in the beginning. And then once we build it, we build workflows for everything that we build. It's mm -hmm. a video of us walking you through what each of the steps are, what we're doing and what the expected outcome is. And then it's a workflow diagram of starts with the thing that happens in your business. And then we lay out all of the stuff that's supposed to occur because that thing happened. And then we give you what the expected outcome is at the end so that you have an understanding of what's going on. The worst thing I can do is build something and give you a black box that you don't understand. Because True. the worst program that you have is the one that you don't use. And you don't use it because you probably yeah. don't understand it. Look, if I buy a Ferrari, first of all, yay me. But if I buy, <laughs> if I buy a Ferrari, 
but I'm too scared to take it above 50 miles an hour because of the torque. And I don't know how to operate the car properly to keep it safe. I will never enjoy what the capability of that car is. And frankly, except for being pretty, I probably wasted a lot of money. That training would have made me really get my money's worth for sure. Right. And I feel like in today's environment, and maybe I'm wrong, it could be my environment, but some folks, particularly I think if you're in the, the write-up on you, it's you know six-figure entrepreneurs bringing them to seven. But if you're in that bucket and you're a lean team, your your team may be saying, how can we automate this? I'm doing tons of data entry today into mm-hmm. you know three or four different systems. How do we rein this in, which is less threatening? I'm assuming after you create a system, does it belong to the company? Is it their property or do you hold on to the... It's their property. Okay. So yeah. RIP is our experience of doing this and seeing the gotchas and being able to have that conversation go like, okay, we've done this before. We've done something really similar before. Here's what we did last time. Here are the things that we kind of had to adjust for and put checks and balances in. Now let's tweak that to make it fit within the way that your business works. So that that's our IP. You control the automations that we build. We give you, if it's code, we give you all the code. If it's an automation, you control all of the accounts. I don't want to control any of that. That is yours to use and do with whatever you want. Very cool. Did retail as a category come to you because of these kinds of companies or did you seek out retailers or companies related to retail? Because I wouldn't say everybody is a retailer. Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Certainly in the past year, retailers have been coming to me because they've been trying to solve the problem of going online and changing rapidly and working within a different model that we didn't expect and looking at options of what's out there that can maybe help me. And automation is certainly a great option to help them get done what they need to get done. So that certainly helped. But I've also always gone after retailers because I enjoy working with them. I grew up, my mother's been in retail her entire life, and I have really fond memories of traveling around with her because my grandfather was retired. So he would travel with us. We'd go explore a city the day she would work. And then at night we'd go out to dinner and hang out. So I have these really fond memories of brick and mortar retailers. And I like working with them. I like trying to solve their problems because I do enjoy the experience that that brings. And I think it's something that I don't see going away anytime soon. We just need to figure out a new way to operate and to iterate on what we've been doing for so long. And brick and mortar has been really similar for a really long time. We haven't really iterated on that model much. And I think a smart use of automation can be a a way to try to make changes. Agreed, agreed. And it is nice that you mentioned that. For for my job, I often go to different cities to look at property and physical space. And there is something, even if you've been there, discovery, not within a store, but discovery in a city. And there's some, if you like to travel, there's some joy in that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Anything you think we've missed in the story, Richard, or the important information that you've got loaded in your megaphone that we haven't touched on? The one thing I will say is I've said conversation a lot in what I've been talking. I think if you are going to start going down this road, the biggest thing you can do that's going to set you up for success is to not do it in a vacuum. Talk through it with somebody else because it will 
show you the assumptions that you're making that are incorrect or that you don't even know that you're making about your business and it will make the outcome that much better. I make the analogy in our businesses, we start going down the highway and then one day there's a detour on the highway. So we, we have to get off the exit and then we're going this new path. And then when you go to fix something, you try to fix the detour instead of going back and fixing the highway because we forgot that we even took the detour in the first place because it's happened over a course of many days and many months. And the only way to realize that that is your situation is a conversation with somebody else. It could be somebody like me. It could be somebody on your team. It doesn't matter as long as it's somebody else who can ask you questions and challenge you on the assumptions that you're making. Mm -hmm. And that back and forth is going to set you up for a much better experience of starting to build and design and think about using automation. That sounds like a perfect note to conclude the segment on, you know, Skynet, this is not <laughs> an automated partner. This is. Yes. All right. So we are going to sip on our drinks for a moment. And when we come back, we're going to get to know Richard as a human and not as a robot. I don't know. So right <laughs> after this. You're rolling. You're rolling, Mark. Oh, yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Mark Rako. And I'm Puffin Ball. And we are two of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, which is a weekly show. And in part, it's about fashion tech, but it's also about the intersection of business and technology, innovation, e-commerce, business strategy, you name it, we probably talk about it. We've had many people on the show over the last six years, we've been we've not missed a week. Every week we've had at least one show. That's more than 350 episodes. Uh, with some of the foremost fashion technology. Ha wait, have, have we, we uh, I, I don't actually know this stat. Are, have we ever missed a week? I don't think we've ever missed a week in one That's way or another crazy. presenting some value. But, uh, but enough about us. Let's talk about you. Wow. Um, no, look, if I'm going to throw my promo out there, I'll say that as a retail strategist, uh, we go very deep into um, really curating the conversation. So whether they be investors or futurists, strategists, um, a lot of technology founders, I mean, uh, brand leaders, the, the conversations and the wealth and the, the spectrum of people that have been on the show are, are incredible. And to think back on the last six years, which I, I actually did not know it was six years. I was going to say five, but still um, unbelievable. Uh, the, the breadth of information that's in here and yeah, uh, I've learned a ton, so I'm assuming other folks would learn a ton as well. Look, to us, it's been like a masterclass covering everything from textiles to retail and everything in between. It covers business news from startups to conglomerates. And the show is a fun and accessible morning radio vibe. Uh, we have fun and you will too. But the main thing is whether or not you are in the fashion industry or fashion technology, there's something here for everybody. You'll hear us every Tuesday without fail on Fashion Is Your Business. And guess what? You can find it pretty much anywhere you find your best podcasts. Everywhere from Spotify to Apple to Stitcher to Google. All of the things. All of the things. All fashion the things. is your business. This is the part of the show where we let our collective hair down, grab our cocktail, and get to know you as a human a little bit more. Although I feel we've gotten a glimpse in a little bit, actually. But Rebecca, would you like to lead off or clean up? 
<laughs> Using so, a baseball term. So, so eloquently put. Well, it's oh. a baseball term. Okay, okay, yeah, there we go. I don't know my sports analogies. Oh, as well cleanup as batter is, is 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 I believe fourth batter. I believe okay. so. All right, I'll, I will batting cleanup. Clean they say I will lead off. <laughs> No, I feel bad. I no, don't know. Don't it was a legit all. sports analogy. As long okay. as Richard doesn't feel bad, he might have That's gotten right. the analogy. I'm all good. <laughs> okay. Richard, I want to know the first moment in your life when you actually clearly identified yourself as a nerd in your own terminology. What was the moment that you kind of recognized that and and embraced it? You know, I don't remember how old I was, but the image is really clear in my head. My father's father had a pocket protector. And I thought that was the coolest thing since sliced bread. And I actually took it from him. It's quite intelligent and good planning, by the way. And and wore it to school. Ah. And I think that was probably the, you know, those early indications that there is a nerd in me somewhere. I'm assuming you got a, uh, a robust amount of feedback on that fashion choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, it, it was not favorable either, but I didn't really care. I thought it was cool, so I wore it. Yeah, exactly. There exactly. we go. Good. You know, it's funny. You make me think when I was, I regret this highly, but when I was a kid, maybe eight years old, ten, something like that, 10 years old, I saw my grandparents wearing glasses. And for some reason, it made me really want glasses. I wanted glasses like they had it. Well, the gift was given, everybody, and it has been, uh, my eyesight has steadily deteriorated through my life, and not in like a horrible way, but enough where, you know, thick glasses, and I wish I had admired their, well, if they had a Ferrari, I guess I would have admired that. That would have worked out way better for me. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for, I guess. So, But uh, that's awesome. So uh, if I may uh, have a follow-up question, Rebecca, if you don't mind. You may. Follow-up question, Richard. What would you say are the stereotypical nerd points that you identify with? For example, and by the way, I'm not throwing any stones here. I'm plenty, and I'm definitely at least 40% nerd myself, if not 100%. Star Trek or Star Wars? I'm actually both. Okay, that's fair. That's cool. They each have their place. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica or Babylon 5? Mm, Battlestar. Okay. New or old? We already lost our audience here. Yeah, I know. I like the old stuff. Yeah? Okay, cool. I'll give you one more. War Games or Super Mario Brothers? Oh, Super Mario all the way. Okay, there you go. <laughs> nice uh, nice okay. round there. All right. <laughs> and on a serious note, what do you think is the smartest thing you've ever done? Marry my wife. I swear uh. to God, I was like, if he's married, please let him say that. That was great. I'm so perfect. Cheers to that. I'm, I'm, uh, this, this is I, being recorded. That, yeah, that smart, Maybe I'll just smart pull, move. I'll, I'll pull this segment for you and throw it to you in an email so you can share it with your wife. All right. Um, done. Done. Rebecca, please. You save me. I, I, no, no worries. I went to graduate school at an engineering school, which is really kind of the opposite of my personality, but I don't want to get into that. Why mechanical engineering? And I, obviously I went to a whole, it was graduate school, but I, a whole group of people obviously chose this. But I think about to my 18-year-old self and choosing a major, and it certainly wasn't on the docket for me, but 
that path has, has led you quite a long way. Yeah, I had some really great engineering role models growing up. Uh, my grandfather was a civil engineer, had a successful business, and I had a propensity to the mechanical side of things. I like cars. I like working on them. And I was good at math. I picked it up quickly and I enjoyed physics. So you know, when you take the aptitude tests and you talk to people, everybody's like, hey, you should be an engineer. And my experiences with it and what I saw of it in my life kind of led me to believe like, oh yeah, okay, I, I think I'm going to enjoy that. So I picked mechanical engineering and I did. I enjoyed it a lot. And I what I got out of it the most was learning how to think and how to look at a problem when not all of the information you have is relevant or necessary. And the correct answer is not black and white. Which is so interesting because I think when people stereotypically think about engineers, they think they're going to come up with this, you know, really quantitative answer. So no, really, really interesting having spent a lot of time around engineers. And it's very also nice to put a human side to the engineering outside of all the stereotypes. So love the role model concept as well, because everybody doesn't get that in their life either. Yeah. So Richard, how can people, first of all, Where's the best place to buy bow ties? <laughs> I'm not teasing you. I'm asking. Joseph A. Bank or Men's Warehouse have a bow ties, and they have both self-tie and pre-tied. If you send me your mailing address, I have uh, company branded ones. I'll send you one. Wow. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. And how can people connect directly with you and also follow your company? Yeah. So if you go to bowtiebots.com forward slash podcast. We have all of our social links there and all the different ways to get in contact with us. Uh, and the important one is there's a link there to have a 15-minute phone call with me one-on-one. -on -one if what we've talked about today is resonating with you and you want to continue that conversation with me and get some direction and a way forward and some understanding about all of this on a more personal basis, I'd love to have a chat with you about what's going on in your life and how automation can fit in with that. Fantastic. All right. Well, Richard Schnitzel, the owner and founder and head and chief bottle washer of Bowtie Box, such a pleasure. Thank you for uh, having a drink with us and having a chat. And uh, we wish you well and continued good luck. I hope there are just bots everywhere. <laughs> you both as well. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of our cocktail version of Retailers Your Business. All right. Hey, Richard, thanks for being a part of our inaugural cocktail episode. I'm so happy it was you. That's it. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week for another wonderful guest. Until then, cheers for Rebecca Fitz. Thank you so much. Cheers. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This has been Retail is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.